Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online, and we need your help with something. What's that? Keeping our show on the air. As the show grows, so do the costs of producing it and distributing the audio of Real Ghost Stories Online, the very thing that you listen to probably on a regular basis. So if you listen to the show regularly, we ask you to become an EPP. That's an extra podcast person. We'll give you even more episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online to listen to in exchange for your support. It's only $5 a month, and you can sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com. Your support is what keeps our show going. Plus, we'll give you access to all of the past EPP bonus episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online, jam-packed with some of the creepiest stories we've ever gotten in, and exclusively for EPPs, more than 30 full episodes. Thanks for helping keep Real Ghost Stories Online on the air. Without your support, the show couldn't go on. Sign up now to be an EPP, extra podcast person, on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. And on tonight's episode, for one family that didn't want to be haunted by a dead relative, all they had to do to stop it was ask. A mysterious text after a listener's grandmother passed away relayed a piece of really useful advice. How to make a bunt cake. No kidding. Could the woman that haunts one family be there because of a striking resemblance between her late husband and the current owner? And after a battle with cancer, a woman comes back to tell her family to quit fighting. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. Hello, and how are you this fine day? I'm good. How are you? I am doing lovely. I'm uh, I'm excited about these stories. This is actually I'm, ex- I'm really excited about the bunt cake. I'm wondering, is there a recipe in the story? Do they? No, but you wouldn't be able to bake it anyway. Why not? Because you can't bake. <laughs> That's true. I have tried so many times, and I just have no luck at the actual baking process. But you can make just about anything else, and it's wonderful. I can cook, but yes. but baking is like a whole different line yeah, of that, things. That's more my thing. So yeah, I'm trying this the the bread thing right now, and I I had this recipe that I thought was really good. Was it was it good years ago, or were you just like bullshitting me a couple of years ago, going, "Oh, this is delicious, honey. I love this." No, there was something different about it. It tasted better back then, but was it more airy back then? Yeah, I think it's because we were using white flour. Okay, but I think it worked best as a pizza crust, honestly. Oh, yeah, we, we, yeah, but we did, like, rolls, like loaves, though, too, didn't we? I don't remember eating much of the loaves. Hmm. I'm sorry. Maybe the loaves were just not good enough for you. Yeah, that's it. And all these delicious loaves of bread, and you sat there going, oh, honey, they're delicious. They're not loaves. And they're now I found out. Risen logs. Of, you don't like my bread. They're half risen logs of dough. <laughs> they're half risen logs. Yeah, they really did kind of suck. I was uh, I was hoping for a better bread. It was like that, uh, and it's from like a, a book that was actually kind of somewhat popular, like the five minute or something to bread or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, And uh, it was uh, their base recipe, and I been trying to follow it like to a T. You know what? There's a reason that people that make bread for a living get up at like 
five in the morning. Yeah, I don't think there really is a way around making artisan bread without being an artisan bread maker. Yeah. Because it really is. I mean, it's one of those things where they sit there and they do it for hours and hours and hours. And they're there at five and they're kneading and they're resting the dough. And there's a lot of that bullshit back and forth which I have zero patience for. Uh-huh. It's like when I make something, I want to make it. I don't want to like, oh, we're going to set it down here for 20 minutes, come back at exactly 20 minutes, and then <laughs> knead it a little bit, and then leave it for five, yeah. and then come back, sing it a, a Frank Sinatra song, and then come back again, and then do your best uh, Lady Gaga song for it, and then it'll be the perfect loaf of bread. You have no patience at all. <laughs> exactly right. That's my problem with baking. For anything. So that's why you can't bake. Because the dough is too slow for you. It is. <laughs> that is exactly right. The dough is too slow for me. <laughs> I'm going to make that a teacher. The dough is too slow for me. Okay. Anyhow, 855-853-4802. That's our phone number to call in a Real Ghost Stories online. Share your Real Ghost Story with us. We'd love to hear it. Uh, of course, you can also write it on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Hector writes in, hi, Tony and Jenny. I've been listening to your station for a few months now, and I really enjoy it. You make my work day go by a lot faster and my road trips a lot shorter, especially down here in South Texas, where it's mostly small town ranches, dark highways. So the setting is perfect. Anyway, my experience I want to share with you happened when I was about 12 years old. We just moved into a trailer home that was right off a highway outside of San Marcos, Texas. The area we lived in was surrounded by 100 acres more or less of empty land, and the area was always dark. The only light we had besides the porch light was a street lamp that was on the side of the highway. We had a few months in the trailer before tragedy struck our family. An uncle who I was very close to died in an accident. He was not that much older than me, so we grew up more like brothers than an uncle and nephew. It had such an impact on me that it took a long time to get over it. My mom would tell me everything was going to be okay and that if I ever wanted to tell him something that he would always be around, listening. Some months had passed and we were getting close to New Year's when we had the first experience. My mom and I were watching TV in our living room accompanied by my two younger brothers. All of a sudden the TV turns off. My mom had the remote control, so I looked over at her, asked her why she had turned it off, and saw the remote on the table that separated her couch and the couch I was on. She denied turning it off, so thinking she was playing around with us, I grabbed the remote control off the table and turned the TV back on and threw the remote control on the floor next to me. Not even two minutes passed by before the TV turns off again. I looked over at my brothers to make sure they weren't playing around with the plug or hadn't taken the remote while I wasn't looking, but the remote control was still on the ground next to me. Now, I was young and didn't know much about ghosts, so that wasn't the first thing that popped into my head. I simply played it off as it was the TV getting too old. Went off about four or five more times before my mom blurted out, Eric, you need to stop. You're scaring me. Eric was my uncle's name who had passed away earlier in the year. That's when it stopped. That's when I realized why my mom had told me to talk to him whenever I wanted to, that he was listening. So whenever things started happening in our home, I would just talk to him. We'd hear footsteps, which were very loud because the floors were very noisy and lights would flicker on and off, so I 
would always ask him to stop because he was scaring me. Just the way my mom told him that night. It wasn't until one night my mom took my brothers out to eat and I. We decided to stay home alone. I was lying on the couch watching a movie. I can't watch a movie with the light on, so the lights were off and so were the hallway lights. The light to my mom's bathroom was on, which you can see down the hallway from the living room, but that light didn't bother me. I was focusing on the TV when I happened to look over towards my mom's bathroom and saw a shadow walk across the light. A dark, big shadow of a man with a beard that looked nothing like my uncle who was somewhat tall and thin. I saw the shadow and watched it as it walked across my mom's bathroom. I didn't see it from the corner of my eye or catch a glimpse of it. I watched the thing make its way across the bathroom and into my mom's room. And then uh, as I was staring right at it, it was black, no features. I couldn't tell you what he was wearing, nothing, just a shadow. I could only make out the shape of his beard. I was so freaked out that I sat outside on the porch for hours in the dark before my mom got home. I explained to her what happened, and she told me it was my imagination not to worry. The next day, she called me into her room and told me that she believed me because she too had seen the shadow about a week before but never said anything because she didn't want to scare us and she didn't want to tell me the night before because my brothers were still awake. After that night, I never saw the shadow again, but I would hear footsteps and noises outside that I couldn't explain. We stayed in that trailer for about a year until we moved out and made our way into the big city of Austin. This time, inside the city and not out in the boonies like before. I never went back to that trailer or anywhere near it, although now that I'm older I sometimes want to pass by to see if there's anyone living in it and ask if they've ever experienced anything. I've experienced things, experienced things since then, but... That by far was my scariest moment. I'll never forget that night. It's been 14 years and I still see that shadow very clearly when I close my eyes and tell my wife that story. Anyways, thank you for letting me share this story. Love your show and we'll continue to listen. I have other stories about the house my mom lives in now, but I'll save that for another day. I'm thinking that the shadow with the beard may have been the one that was messing with them from the get-go and that you know, just the act of speaking out to somebody, presumably, you know, that they can't see, mm-hmm. was what may have startled it and made it stop. So here they are thinking it's, you know, the uncle when it's actually this other shadow who's just like, oh, they know I'm here. I better stop. Like got their recognition it was looking for and then. Yeah. What's interesting is I, I wonder how much of this is surrounding the mom. Just because he was saying you know, there's more things that have happened, but more mm-hmm. things haunting my mom's house and not necessarily him. That's so, true. Although we don't know all the stories, so maybe there is more there. It just maybe wasn't alluded to. But I wonder if there's something with the mom that attracts these things. That's a good point. It's an I don't know. Just a thought. I don't know for sure, but I'd love to hear more stories. Yeah. So thank you for... Uh, for sharing that with us. Our phone number is 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost story with us. Of course, you can also write it on the website, 
at realghoststoriesonline.com. And, of course, uh, press subscribe, whatever platform it is you listen to us on, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, whenever you press subscribe, you get all the shows sent directly to you, but you also help us uh, grow in those rankings, and that helps us out quite a bit as far as new followers finding us. So uh, thank you so much for, uh, for that. Anonymous writes in, several years ago, I began dating a woman who lived in Texas. Pro- there you go. That's issue number one. Just uh, avoid the Texas. Which couch are you going to sleep I'm on? I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Just clearing that up. Avoid the Texas woman. Trust me. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, I uh, then lived in Louisiana. We had a long-distance relationship for almost two years before I moved. My grandparents had raised me, and they had met her once it, and seemed uh, to like her. Before moving, my grandma was uh, put in the hospital, diagnosed with cancer, and died. Yes, that quickly. We quickly suspected that she had known she was terminally ill and kept that from us. My grandma was just like that, never wanted anyone to stop their life for her. Anyway, the night of her funeral, everyone, including my then-girlfriend, came back to my grandparents' house. We all had some laughs, shed some tears, and bonded over the loss of our loved one. That night, my phone died, and I wasn't able to find a charger, but I wasn't too worried because everyone else had a phone. The next morning, I got up, went to my car, and found a charger and charged my phone. When it came on, it said I had a text message. The text was from my own Twitter account. It said, she's not the one. My then-girlfriend also received the same message. This is common when you follow someone on Twitter. You can receive mobile alerts in the form of a text message if you select that option. However, when logging into Twitter, I could see that the message was a text update, meaning it came from a mobile device. It was posted at 3 a.m., Given that my phone was dead at the time, and that's the only device set up to text and tweets, I was a little curious. So I got in touch with Twitter, and they were able to tell me the last half of the phone number the text came from and apologized for the error, as it was realized this wasn't the number that was for my account. It was, however, the last half of my grandma's phone number. No message was sent from her phone last night. We checked with the phone company. My then-girlfriend accused me of doing it all, and even though I told her I didn't, she frequently brought the occurrence up for the rest of our relationship. I broke up with her about two years ago. Best decision ever. Grandma was right. Your show is amazing. Keep up the good work. T. I think it was Grandma just sending that message saying, you know, just don't end up with her. Tweets from the grave. It's funny how they're using technology now you know Mm -hmm. to communicate i mean a tweet that's that's really funny i was confused as to how this that worked Uh where it's like a text i mean i get like you can set up alerts and stuff i don't know how he was tracing this this just came from a mobile device and this i don't i don't know know you do that (laughs) i just play oregon trail and call it good well i think though it if you set it up when a certain person tweets that it pops up on your phone and it said that he had tweeted it when obviously he hadn't. And so that's why he contacted Twitter to try and get that sorted out and figure out where this came from. Yep. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of get how this is the, the chain and I feel old when I'm not, I'm in my thirties. Uh-huh. 
But I mean, uh, just the uh, the amount of detail that you can get into. I mean, I get tweeting. I tweet every day. I mean, it, it, it's the the amount of detail you can get into. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like tracing it back and this and that and how it came and where it came from and how you even know where. It, that's where I'm like, how do you even do that? I don't even. Well, I mean, it'd just be the same thing as if you had a tweet show up on your phone and it said it was Tony Bruschi that said, you know, she's not the one. And sure, you're like, no, I didn't do that. But it came from a phone number. Right. How, how do you get a tweet from a phone number? I don't know. It was more so, I think, who did it. Okay. Did Grandma have Twitter? I guess. Okay. Grandma obviously knew how to tweet. Grandma would have to have had Twitter, I think, for that to make sense. Mm-hmm. See, I was almost under the, under the assumption that Grandma didn't have Twitter. That's where that's where I was making the disconnect. Going, I don't know. going, maybe Grandma. Like, how would you know? I mean, that's just I. I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost. I take his word for it that everything he said made sense. Uh huh. I just didn't make sense of it. Yeah. Because I'm old and in my early thirties. <laughs> I think that's funny, though. <laughs> it is. It, <laughs> It is. It's very interesting, and I think it's it's all too real with how they are using more and more uh, platforms and devices and uh, outlets, really, to relay messages. It's probably easier than, you know, making a voice go over the phone. Yeah. Or something of that, you know, old school ways of communicating. Moving the planchette on the Ouija board. <laughs> yeah. Just tweet it. Done. <laughs> Done. And you're limited to so many characters, too, and they probably run out of, by, uh, out of energy by the time they uh, they reach the... How many characters can you use on Twitter? I don't know. I have no idea. So I, don't. I don't tweet and I don't follow Twitter. <clears throat> That's because we're from the Oregon Trail generation. <laughs> I was reading that the other day. It was an interesting article about folks who were born in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a, it, the only generation out there that gets the world before all of this and also gets the world after all of this and can really kind of appreciate both is that because like our parents even though they were you know obviously here before all of this meaning all this Mm -hmm. you know social media stuff um is that because they still don't they're not fully immersed in it yeah and for a a portion of our life we weren't either Mm -hmm. you know there was you know the first eight ten years of our life didn't exist you know or very limited computer access you know, it was it wasn't like everyone had one to the access that there is today, and then generations after that, it was just always there. Yeah, there was no before. We were the last generation, and and, and it's a small. It's not even a full generation. It's not X. It's not Y. It's not millennial. It's this weird group that doesn't really fit into like Generation X or the millennials. Um, and that's. And someone called it the Oregon Trail generation. <laughs> and it's because we're the ones who played Oregon Trail in our classrooms growing up. That's perfect. But we saw the world before it. We used encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. And we know how to use an encyclopedia and a card catalog. Oh, yeah. I remember that. But we also know the other end of things, too. And there's not a really another group that understands both to the level that we do. Yeah. Like our parent the, before, not so much the technology side. You know, at least as you're growing up. Sure. And the after, only the technology side. Oh, yeah. So, interesting. I just thought, it, you know. Well, it was one of those things where when our eight-year-old, when we mentioned something was curly-cued like a phone cord, she's like, what is a phone cord? Yeah. 
Yeah. She did not have any concept and it wasn't her fault. We just, you know, we've, we've always had either cordless or cell phones. Sure. And I was like, wow, that's, that's an olden days. Thing. And you bring out the eight track tapes. Uh, we never had those though. No. We cassette had cassettes. tapes. She didn't really know. She knows what cassettes are. She's had cassettes. Yeah. But yeah. Records were a little bit foreign for her for a little while. I remember her seeing those and going, what is this? <laughs> Not that we really use them much, but I had a couple. I showed her once. Sure. Anyhow, on with the show. Okay. 855-853-4802. April writes it. I just heard you tell my story about a visit to the Titanic exhibit. I thought I'd write back and answer some of the questions that you had brought up. Started Googling images of Titanic old man ghost out of curiosity. A ton of images popped up of people that had been on the ship. One image stuck out to me, and I was shocked to see that it looked like the man we had seen. I'm actually really in awe and freaked out as I'm writing this. I clicked on the image to see who it was, and it was Frederick Fleet. This is the lookout that failed to see the iceberg until it was too late. He survived the disaster and died in 1964 by suicide. If this is who we saw, it would make a lot of sense. I don't know he died by suicide. Yeah. Yeah, was, he he lived to be old and then yeah. did that. I wasn't aware. The ghost of the man who history holds responsible for the deaths of thousands of people is haunting the exhibit and telling people to leave? What are your thoughts? You know, it makes sense. And stranger things have happened. But that would explain why he wasn't necessarily dressed in time period clothing of the ship. Mm -hmm. when they saw him and he was an old man because obviously he you know lived for 52 53 years after the ship sank sure now interesting thing about him was that right after the ship sank he still stayed on and worked for white star and he actually had the same job on the olympic for six months really immediately following okay you missed the iceberg that sunk titanic kate go take up this job on the sister ship that's like the ultimate do-over but you know he only lasted for six months and then he did some other things and sailed on some other ships but um he ended up in a graveyard in in england without a mark marker on his grave Mm -hmm. and one of the societies the titanic societies one of them put a marker on there and they had a drawing of Titanic on it, and it had his, uh, you know, that he was the, the lookout. So that's forever on his grave. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's something he wanted to move on from, but that's forever on his grave. So somebody had a sick sense of humor on the 100th anniversary, and he had claimed during his life if he had had a pair of binoculars, he probably would have been able to see the iceberg. So on the 100th anniversary, somebody took, like, a pair of binoculars and left it on his grave. God. Yeah, just to be sick like that, but... Wow. Well, that's special. Anyway, it makes sense that that might be who April saw. Who knows? It would fit into the story quite well. Yeah. Interesting. 855-853-4802. I learned so much more new things about Titanic tonight. There you go. When I was in uh, daycare as a child, one of the children that I was in daycare with claimed that their grandfather or great-grandfather was Captain Smith. Seriously? I don't know. I don't know if it was real. And I was a compulsive lying child. But she seemed to know a lot about the history, too. Okay. Like, like I did, because I knew Titanic in and out. 
pretty well, but uh, I don't know. It was an interesting. And I never found out. I, there's no way to you know validate this in yeah. 1991 or so. <laughs> you know, at uh, the uh, local kinder care. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, wow, it, it was interesting because I could have like I could actually hold a Titanic conversation with her, mm-hmm. and she could hold it back and, and talk about things. So like, oh, maybe there's some validity here to this. Maybe it is in your family. You're not just obsessed with this sinking ship for no reason whatsoever. But speaking of that, I think our listeners are going to kill us if we keep talking about it. So. Sarah writes in. I parked outside my apartment at 10.45 at night. My dog, Snowy, was in the window wagging her tail excitedly because Mommy was home to walk her. My husband and I had been separated for almost six months due to work, so I lived alone with our animals. I went inside the apartment and put my purse away. I was reaching for the leash when I thought to myself to put off walking the dog until the morning. I chalked it up to being tired and lazy and chastised myself. Walking snowy was fine until I got to the streets. Then there was a feeling of being watched from the shadows. I walked further and started feeling like I was being followed. Snowy kept turning her head like watching something behind us, though nothing was there. I had to correct her several times because she kept stopping in front of me to look back. Finally, I got to the end of the street and turned back home. The feeling got more intense and I had to keep myself from running. Needless to say... I couldn't get the key in the door fast enough to get inside my apartment. When I opened the door, Snowy turned around and began barking and growling. I looked and there stood my husband, but it wasn't my husband exactly. The face was in a wicked grin that distorted his features slightly, and he was slightly taller. Whatever this was was not the love of my life. I said, as I calmly as calmly and, com- and commanding as I could, that the thing was not welcome and not allowed in my home. Its smile dropped slightly, and I slammed the door quickly. The cross I'd put on the door using holy oil a few months before seemed to glow a bit. Snowy stood guard at the door for a few minutes, then seemed to feel the threat was gone. Walked my dog at night afterwards, but it never appeared again, to which I'm thankful. I never told my husband until recently. That is never a good sign when you have a almost image of your relative. Almost husband. Yeah, that's not good. That I'm going to go with what you usually say and say it's something dark. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be usually the uh, work of a just a you know nefarious uh, dead person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just to kind of screw with you. That's usually something that's a little more dark than that. Rare, but it happens. Yeah. So, yeah, she did the right thing and got the heck out of there because that, that was something that seemed to be trying to deceive her. Mm-hmm. So that that's creepy. That's like, it, it didn't need zombie clowns in there to just be like unnervingly creepy. Yeah. You know, just the thought of that. You know, can you imagine you know, walking up to the door, you're up for a walk and, you know, for I'm away or something, I'm visiting, I don't know. I'm just not home for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And, uh, you get there. But there I am. But not quite. I would know. Yeah. I would know, especially if you were taller than normal. <laughs> no. That's true. It'd be pretty obvious. <laughs> Are you wearing platforms? Are you wearing those horrible shoes again that I hate? <laughs> like, yes, honey, I really... Then, then you know it was me. Again. Right. But if I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah, it's going to be hard, though, because you're kind of creepy in your own right. That's not nice. 
You like to do all kinds of pranks and jokes and stuff, so. So? So you could easily try and just answer the door in a creepy way, and it would just be something you would do. I could shave my beard off now. Would that be weird? I don't know. I've had it now for like a month. I know. And I it's know. not even November. I know. I'm just, I guess I'm preparing for November. Mm-hmm. Like, really, I'm, I guess I'm going to look really homeless by the time November comes around. Yeah, we'll get you one of those shirts that has the links of the different beards. And once you hit the Civil War general link. Oh, God, I've never seen that. Then you're done. Then we're cutting it off. That would be interesting. Ah. What about like when you start like having like animals living in it? That's just wrong. Is that? If you start looking like the guy from Burt's Bees, that's just messed up. <laughs> Lucinda writes in, this is a reference to the Wicked Ways podcast and Sleep Paralysis. There's a great book out there called Abducted by Susan A. Clancy, which goes into in-depth research about sleep paralysis in the Middle Ages. People that had this problem saw witches. In our day, people with the problem see aliens, in particular little men, be they green or gray. It's uh, whatever is popular to be afraid of at the time. But here is my ghost story. About 20 years ago, I live in a small house in Hopewell, Virginia. It was more like a 1910 dollhouse full of character and painted yellow with blue trim. The house had been owned by a former postmaster. My husband grew up in Hopewell and knew all the families living there, including the former owner of the house. The house was warm without any ghostly vibes. However, it was haunted. The person haunting it was the wife of the postmaster. She was a warm and lovely person. We do not know why she chose to stay, but from time to time... My husband would see her watching from the window and worked outside. One day while he was working outside in the garden, he distinctly heard a woman's voice call out to him. And, can I help you? she asked. He immediately went inside to see if I had called out to him, but I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. We assumed it was the ghost. I had a part-time job working in the library and spent a few hours researching our home. I found pictures of the postmaster and that uh, owned our house, and I uh, started uh, that uh, stared at the photo a while and then uh, brought it home to my husband, who also stared at the photo for a while before speaking. The two men looked very similar, almost twins. It then dawned on me why we were being haunted. My husband must have looked so much like the ghost husband. She was attracted to us or him. We never had any bad experiences in that house. It was always warm and friendly. If anything odd happened, such as something missing, we spoke to the ghost about it. The missing item would soon turn up. Usually we would just say hello to her. We lived in that home for a few years and then moved to the beach. Before we left, I did experience sleep paralysis one night. I awoke late at night when I thought I heard a high-pitched hovering sound, typically heard in science fiction movies for a UFO. After a moment, I envisioned small aliens around my bed. At that point, I dismissed the whole thing as my imagination and went back to sleep. I can certainly understand how vivid this condition is and why people see ghosts, shadow people, dogs, and hags. I do not think the condition is paranormal, but I do think the human mind is imaginative. You know, I think it makes perfect sense if her husband looked like the woman's husband. Sure. I think that makes perfect sense, and I don't really know what else to add to that. Well, it's one of those things that we've talked to about, like, just conditions and uh, 
like physical conditions of an environment, sometimes making it more to a certain period of the ghost you're trying to conjure up. Sure. And what they would have seen or known. And sometimes that, that seems to evoke more likelihood of them making their appearance known. Um, I, I really just kind of put the husband almost then as an object into that sort of a situation of this is a familiar face, mm-hmm. if you will. So the likelihood then increases. That makes sense. So I think it kind of falls into that. Interesting story. Really do appreciate that one. 855-853-4802 is our phone over here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Amy writes in, hi. I just have to say I'm your very, uh, very happy I found your podcast. I'm addicted to podcasts, and I'm happy to be an EPP. You deserve all the support you can carry on like you're helping so many. I hope my story isn't long and drawn out. I have only two unexplained experiences my whole life. All my life, I've been open to many possibilities of more to this life, but I don't blindly believe everything. I've never seen a ghost, but I'm understanding of other people's stories. But I have had two experiences that I'll carry with me to my own death. In 2005, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. My entire family lived in Ohio. My parents were divorced, and my brother and I grew up with our mom. He was almost four years younger than me. He had some issues with drugs and gangs, but when he became a father, it all changed. He became a firefighter and paramedic, very well respected. Then the morning of April 15th came around. I was at work when I got a phone call. My brother had taken his own life. It was tragic beyond what I can put into words. The entire universe crashed down on me. The next day, I drove to Ohio. His funeral would be in a few days. My mom needed me so bad. It was rough on everyone. My dad had more room at his house for my family and me, so we stayed with him. The first night, I was unable to sleep, so I went downstairs to the family room, lay on the couch, and watched TV. My husband was on the other side of the room in the recliner. Just then, I felt my hair tugged and the words, It's okay, sis. It wasn't audible. It's like I sensed it. I can never explain it, but the emotions I felt at the same time were shocking. It was happiness, sadness, shock, terror, all at once. I guess the best way of explaining it is being shocked when changing a light bulb. And that quick. I immediately shot up. My husband was still in the the recliner. He wasn't sure what was wrong and I couldn't speak. The more I looked, I couldn't find an explanation for my hair getting pulled. I broke down into tears. It was very disorienting. At this point, I never had any unexplained experiences. I never had any more communication from him. For years after his death, my mother was never able to fully function. Eventually, she learned that she had stomach cancer. Within nine months, she too passed. I was the one she appointed to make all legal decisions. We knew the end was coming. We had a long talk. All the things we'd ever seen. Even had an agreement. If there's another life, please show me a sign. I was curious my whole life. And she agreed. She didn't know either. She was, a, she was curious as I, but never had anything happen to her. A week before she died, I flew to Ohio. She was going to be in home hospice, and all treatment and nutrition stopped according to her wishes. It seemed any hour she was going to be at her last. Eventually, she needed to be rehospitalized. I think the cancer spread to her brain, and she was very disoriented. She often 
ripped IVs and catheters out, screaming about demons attacking her, and she'd injure herself. I called on the priest and a few other clergy who were family friends of different faiths. After much prayer, she said over and over, I love you, Jesus. She was at peace and stopped responding as much. The next week, I had to fly back to Georgia so my sons could start back to school after Christmas break. I was hoping to fly back that weekend. I didn't want her to pass away without me there. The day after I flew back to Georgia, she slipped into a coma and her body shut down. At midnight, she received her last rites. I stayed on the phone with her, my aunt so I could listen to the blessing. The minute the priest began, the connection to my aunt was lost. I wasn't going to call back and interrupt, so I sat on the couch and cried hysterically with my husband. I hoped within an hour my aunt would call me back. A couple hours went by and I tried to call her and no answer. I tried another aunt that was there and nothing. Two hours later I tried again. My aunt answered and I asked how my mom was and she said, I'm sorry, your mom passed away a few hours ago. I cried and asked her why no one called me or answered. They told me a few of them were trying my house and my cell phone and none of these calls came through. I'm not sure why. I hated myself for leaving her. Only more, or one more day, uh, was all that I needed. But everyone said she was holding on because she didn't want me there when she died. As soon as I left Ohio, she let go. I don't know, it's been hard to understand. After her death, there were huge family fights. Everyone wanted control. My power-hungry family caused so much trouble with the funeral home. It took longer to have my mom cremated according to her wishes. There were many fights and ugly words. It was horrible and extremely traumatic. One night, a woman my mom was friends with in high school was sleeping. She didn't know everything was going on as her and my mom grew apart after high school. She had the gift of being able to communicate with those who have passed on. She dreamt about my mom as she looked in high school. My guess so it was that so she'd be recognizable. The woman couldn't make sense of what my mom was trying to tell her. Quit Viking, she said it over and over. The next day, the woman located one of my aunts and told her about the dream. My aunt told her my mom passed a few days before but didn't know about any Vikings. They then put two and two together. My mom was saying quit fighting. The message went through my family and apologies were attempted. All eventually settled and it was time to grieve properly. One night, in the middle of the night, I was lying awake in my bed. I was lying on my left side with a fan behind me blowing on me. It sounded like someone talking through a fan or a radio. I heard my mom say, hey, it's me. I'll be honest, I was horrified. I was scared to move. My ears started ringing and I felt pressure in my chest and head and my heart pounded. I don't know why, but I was absolutely terrified. I kept saying, no, don't be there in my head, afraid I'd see her ghost or be touched. And as plain as day, I heard her say it again, hey, it's me. I was literally shaking and wanted to run out of the room screaming. I never heard from her again. I'm ashamed that I reacted so horribly to my own mother. I have the feeling she knows she scared me and she'll never make her presence known to me. But in her voice, I also got an unspoken message from her. That there's something very big that connects us all. And that we shouldn't be afraid of God. He's much more merciful than we think. 
In the end, it's not about punishment, but something much bigger and beautiful. Any ideas as to why I get so horrified? Never heard from my mom or brother since. I don't want them to think I don't want anything to do with them. I'm having a hard time moving on. Could I have really been contacted? I have had one clergy tell me it's demons trying to confuse me. And that's why I always felt fear. I need opinions to help me. and You are the best. Much love to you and each of your listeners, Amy, in Atlanta. I don't think it's demons. No? No. I don't think it's demons. Why would a demon come back to tell somebody to quit fighting? No, I don't I don't get that vibe at all. No. I, I think it's a devil himself. I'm kidding. No. No, I think in both cases with the brother and the mother, it's not demonic. And mm-hmm. you know why you felt fear? It's not something we're normally equipped to handle yeah. seeing, you know, or feeling the presence of a loved one who we've just lost. I think it's just as simple as this. I think mom came back to make her presence known. And she has no control over how you are going to react to her. There's no way for her to essentially subtly like instill calmness in you, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think she was just making her presence known. And the reaction was a normal human reaction. And you feel guilty about it. But I don't think. You need to feel guilty about it. No, I, that's, you don't need to. That's right. the thing. I, but I think that's what happened. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I don't think they're going to hold a grudge. And once you get to the other side, whenever your time is, they're going to be like, yeah, you totally freaked out when I came to see you. I'm just forever going to be holding that grudge for eternity. No, literally. I, I think the mom's going to become like, hey, remember the time I freaked you out? That was funny. Hey, welcome over here. I, I think that's about it. Yes. I, I don't think there's any reason to feel guilty about it. And I don't think there's anything to like really examine here as far as was it mom, was it not mom? I think it was mom. I think that's, and the brother in the other right. instance. And I that's all it was. And it was just human emotion and reaction to something that you normally don't see. Right. Yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about that at all. <laughs> so, yeah, I think pretty pretty straightforward. Right. So, very interesting story, though. Yeah, was. And, and I think it, it kind of uh, interesting on the fact that uh, they did talk about, you know, coming back on the other side once you pass. Uh-huh. And actually making that happen. Yeah. That's cool. So many times you hear about that, like, oh, if you die, you know, you, one of us will come back and say, hey, and nothing ever happens. Yeah. This one happened. Right. So, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> Ashley writes in hello, and uh, if uh, this uh, makes it to your channel, thank you for reading. So, I've had various confrontations with the paranormal since I was young, but I thought I would tell you of my latest. This occurred about four years ago. I started a new job, and I had made a wonderful friend from work, and we both shared a passion for the paranormal and history, so we decided we would do a double date with her and her now hubby and myself with my hubby. So, we would go to uh, North Sydney. And I do a ghost tour. Well, the night was chilly, foggy, and a light misty rain with thunder and lightning in the distance, so it was a perfect night for a ghost story in history. Well, as the night went on, we were brought to the oldest cemetery in Australia. We were listening to the history and stories about uh, uh, tying a bell to a finger or toe to your body uh, after you've been buried, as people were buried alive by accident a lot. I had this uncomfortable feeling come over me. 
and could feel a heavy presence to my side then behind me. As I turned around, my husband standing next to me turned also at the same time after we both saw the same black figure behind the tombstone that we were standing right in front of. We both uh, stared at it and stared at one another and asked if we saw that. The figure felt as if it were staring at us and then it slowly disintegrated in front of our eyes. There were no lights around apart from the lantern the guide was carrying, no animals, and there was no one else there but us. We looked behind the tombstone just to check that it wasn't something and nothing. My hubby is not a believer. Well, wasn't, but while everything was to come uh, that was happening, he chose to ignore it so he wasn't affected. After this night, we went home and I continued to feel heavy and watched. It took about a week for me to really start acknowledging what was happening. It started with hearing what sounded like a glass marble being dropped onto tiles every single night and would happen for about an hour at a time and would happen multiple times at night and during the day when I was again looking for another job. This would only happen when we would be downstairs. The funny part is it would sound like it was landing right on the top of the stairs, which were carpet. We would check out the bathroom and a, a lot at the start, but there was no evidence of a thing that could make the sound. It would even make the noise when we were ripped when we had ripped out the bathroom for renovations. There was nothing to create that sound. The things that were happening were increasing, but it seemed to be targeting me. It felt like it was trying to intimidate me, scare me, maybe even hurt me. It was always freezing cold in one corner of the landing of the stairs. My dog would always stand mid-hallway from the landing, stare at the corner and growl or bark. The other spot, it would always be cold. There was a spare bedroom upstairs at the end of the hallway, and there was a corner that was freezing if the other wasn't. I'd wake up through the night. The bedroom was also up the stairs. And I used to sit at the end of the bed on my side, and it felt like it would stare at me. As time went on, it would get closer and closer. Eventually, it was basically up to the side of me, in line with my chest. This would terrify me, so I ended up having to swap sides of the bed to feel like my husband was blocking it somehow. I'd always have the TV on or lights. My dog would also sit on the bed and growl, staring at the corner. I would see it in the bedroom, or he'd watch through the door and bark down the hallway. I constantly felt this thing near me when I would shower it would look through the crack of the door or around the door i was constantly looking over my shoulder when i was upstairs i ended up trying to research the land and the area we were living in and the house even though it was only three years old you just never know but nothing came up so this more confirmed it for me my suspicion that i had brought this evil thing back with me the only way i could describe this thing was a black mist mild form of a body, shoulders, head, but there was never a distinctive feature apart from it being about the height of a 67-year-old that if it weren't standing upright in its corner, it would look like it had its knees to its chest and appear to be rocking. I just didn't feel safe in it. The thing tormented me for almost two years. I feel it pushed me into mass depression where I struggled to get out of bed. I'd only sleep. I wouldn't talk. I didn't eat much, and I was constantly sick. It is so hard to write down what this thing made me feel like and how horrible this experience was. 
It still brings me to tears sometimes and makes my hair stand on end. I couldn't handle it anymore, and I read that if you confront the thing following you, it can make it go away. So I tried every time I went upstairs, I would tell it, I'm no longer allowing you in my home. You are not welcome. You no longer scare me, and you have to leave. It took a few months, but I stopped seeing it eventually and feeling it. We moved not too much later, and I truly hope I was able to make it leave. I hope that it didn't stay in the house, as now we have tenants in there. Three of them, children. Well, I guess that's enough for now, but thank you for taking the time to read my story. I'm sorry if it dragged out. I love the show, and keep it up. Okay, I may be getting something wrong, but she said it was about the size of a six to a seven-year-old. Okay. And the way it would sound like it was playing with marbles, or marbles and, um, you know, it seemed to be gravitating towards her. I think maybe it was the shadow person of a child. That was just kind of feeling some comfort with her? Yeah. Oh, that would make sense. A child would curl up in a ball and rock back and forth if it were really upset. Sure. I think that's what it was. I, I I could really see that. What's what's interesting to me too is about just the the sounds they were hearing, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that they want to kind of examine like what are the physical structures that can make these sounds, even if someone like were to be, be making these noises, uh-huh. and they they didn't exist. Yeah, it's like well, did something exist prior? Did did they not say it was a newer home though? Yeah, and she researched the land. She thinks it came home with her from their ghost tour. Interesting. I mean, the only thing I could think of was like, well, what was the flooring like previously sure. up there? Something of that nature. Or I know she researched the land, but I wonder, um, I mean, research can only really reveal so much if it's documented. Mm-hmm. Um, could there have been another structure on that site? Could there have been another second floor to that structure that was on that site at some point in time with a harder hard floor? You know, with the marbles. Yeah. You know, that, that's all I can really think of. I mean, just for the sounds to be being made. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you have that where sometimes the ghosts are from X time and you're in this home. It's and This would be not applicable to this situation. But for whatever reason, they can interact with the structure of the home as they saw it Yeah. in their day. And then you end up hearing the reverberated sounds of what they're interacting with that is actually no longer in your home. Yeah. But not applicable here. Right. As far as we know. Okay. But I just thought that was interesting. You know, if it's if it seems to be childlike and it's making the sound of playing with marbles, can it bring a sound with it? I don't know. I suppose the marbles making the sound, but what got me was the sound of him like dropping on the floor. Yeah, but that's what I mean, bringing that sound mm-hmm. with it. Sure. So it doesn't matter if it's carpet or whatever, if it's bringing the sound of playing marbles. Just the overall sound is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I I don't know. I think if you're a ghost, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. I don't know. I was just wondering that. Yeah. Very interesting story. Thank you for uh, for writing that into us. Let's go to uh, a caller here at 855-853-4802. It's uh, Ashley in California. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Tony and Jenny. Um, This is Ashley from Burbank, California. I'm the one who called in a while ago about the ghost that I saw on the Queen Mary when I worked there at the haunted attraction, the one that I I saw, but 
he was invisible. <laughs> I saw him in my mind. Um, anyway, I was listening to your podcast today, and there was a woman who talked about her elderly friend who had passed who kept touching her shirt, and it reminded me of something that happened recently. So I thought I would call and tell you. Um, this happened this March in uh, at Disneyland, actually. Um, I went to Disneyland with my boyfriend for my birthday, and I was super excited to go. I love Disneyland. Uh, and we hadn't been in a while together, like two years or something. Um, so we went, and uh, as you go into the park, for the people who haven't been to Disneyland, as you go into the park, there's the train station right through the front entrance gates, and you can either go left in a tunnel underneath the train station or right under a tunnel through a train station and uh, we went right we went through the tunnel and on the right hand side there's a restroom and then right next to the restroom is the old Disneyland bank um, it's not a bank anymore it's now an art gallery but once upon a time it actually used to be a bank and they have a vault there and usually in the vault they have some amazing rare piece of artwork that somebody has created uh, and we thought we would start our day by wandering around the art gallery and seeing what they had, because it was the, hmm, I think they had a whole bunch of art up for the 45th anniversary for the Haunted Mansion. I know it was Haunted Mansion stuff, I just don't remember what anniversary. I think it's 45th. I'm sure somebody will know better than me. Um, anyway, so we walked in and we were wandering around the, the old bank slash art gallery. Uh, it's a beautiful building. And uh, I went to go see what was in the vault, and they have the, the vault door open, and you can see a little ways into the vault, and then they have a, like a red velvet rope in front, so you can't actually walk into the vault, but you can get close to it to see what's in there. And so I, I was walking up to it, and I did not cross the red velvet rope. I, I was still probably, I don't know, eight inches away from the rope, and I felt this pull on the back of my shirt. And I thought it was my boyfriend who was like, I don't know, stopping me from getting close or something. And so I turned around all kind of irritated and like, hey, stop it. I wasn't gonna touch it. I was gonna stay back. Don't, you know, don't be rude. And I turned around and he wasn't standing there. And actually nobody was standing around me. He was on the other side of the room, about, I don't know, eight feet away. And I was like, Jeremy, did you, did you just grab my shirt? And he's like, no, I'm over here. And I saw a couple of workers standing there. I was like, did, did you guys grab my shirt? Because I thought, okay, well, maybe it was a worker who was concerned about how close I was getting, which, again, I wasn't that close. Anyway, I thought it was a worker, and they were like, no, we didn't touch your shirt. Why? And I was like, somebody just grabbed my shirt. And so I, I checked, I felt around, and it wasn't like, tucked into my pants or anything and I was wearing a really light shirt so you could feel it move easily it was a lightweight fabric and I was like you guys really didn't touch me and they were like no and the co-workers started talking and they were like oh that's so cool it happened again and I said what are, what are you talking about I'm like oh people feel touched all the time or they hear voices they hear somebody say their name um one of the workers was saying that uh, somebody called her by her actual birth name and the only people who call her by her birth name are 
her family members because everybody else calls her by a nickname because she doesn't like her birth name. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. So it was pretty neat. I got to start out my birthday by being hugged by a ghost. Uh, anyway, I thought you guys would like that story. And thank you for everything that you do. I love your show. And I make sure that everybody listens to it whenever they drive with me in the car. All right. Thanks. Bye. Tugged by a ghost. At the Haunted Mansion. That's awesome. The original Haunted Mansion. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think if I could be a ghost, I would, I, I'd go haunt, you know, Disney World or Disneyland. Sure. Yeah, great place. No, I bet that that's a very haunted place. Yeah, I would think so. Although, if you're going to the Haunted Mansion, you probably are very not noticed. Yeah, that's not where I think I would choose to haunt if I was trying to get attention. People are like, oh, look at those special effects. That's amazing. Yeah, somehow they made it tug my shirt. It's just it's Disney magic. That's a neat experience, though. It is very, very much so. It's uh, it's magic you'll never forget. Right. So, uh, very cool story. Thank you for sharing that with us. If you like the show, please help keep us on the air. Sign up to become an EPP that's an extra podcast person. Sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. It's only $5 a month, or you can sign up for the entire year. That's up to you. Uh, but uh, your support is what keeps our show on the air. So uh, if you like it, please consider keeping it going. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. All those bonus episodes go directly to you. And a brand new one every single week as well. Uh, until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.